Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to awaken to the truth of your soul? Welcome to today's episode of I Dig Your Soul Podcast with your host, Nadia Khalil. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today is October 16th. It is Friday. I can't believe we're already on Friday. It has been such a busy week and such a hot week, and and yesterday was so warm because I had to go into an area that's normally warmer than where I live, and I came back, and I was done. There was, like, nothing left. I, You know, you could only sweat so much <laughs> and still have energy. So, anyway, it was funny. I still did what I needed to do, but it wasn't easy. So, today is Question Friday, and I had a question put on my page, and at first I wasn't going to answer it because I actually don't know the answer. And it was, hi, I have a question. What happens to a soul when an organ transplant takes place? Does the soul remain tied to the organ? What happens when the person dies who donated the organ? When you die, you leave your body. So you're no longer attached to that body. But does your organ maintain personality traits of the person? I really don't know. I have heard that sometimes heart transplant patients, they may like foods they didn't like before and stuff like that, and I don't know why. It could be because of this or whatever memory is in that heart. But now the heart is organizing itself in a new system. So I don't know if over time, I don't know like how kidney transplants work, it's it's an interesting thing because we're in the world right now, in, in my world, where we're looking at kidney transplants and we're trying to get on a list. And I think we finally filled all of the criteria to do that and we're waiting now to hear. But I went to a two-hour meeting about organ transplants. And did you know when they transplant a kidney, they don't take your kidneys out and replace them. They don't do that. They leave your kidneys in, and they put the new kidney, like, in the waste area to the side. So that's the working kidney, and they tie it in to work the way your other kidney worked. And the other thing I know about that is that not only do they put the kidney somewhere else and keep your kidneys intact, In the meeting, they were saying that in the early parts of a transplant, they have many medications to stop your body from rejecting the organ. 
And for older people, they were asking them if they would sign a waiver. So if that organ had hep C or something like that prior to the transplant, that, you know, they'll eventually get it, but it would be a while. And maybe. So if you're older, older, it may give you a couple more years, but, it, you know, it can cause other issues. But they feel like, well, we can treat those issues. So I don't know. Everything I have seen except for that one article I read about heart transplants and you starting to pay attention to different things than you normally did, they don't know if they can trace it back to the heart. But as far as I know, um, we would have to study a bunch of organ um, organs that were donated to the people. We'd have to study the people they were donated to and ask them a series of questions. But other than that, I really don't have any information on that, but it's a great question. The other question I have is from Liam, and it was posted on the radio page in Facebook, and it said, Will we ever get a full taste of the glory of God on this plane of existence, or is this plane of existence for not knowing all things and going through the lack of knowledge? I loved your post recently about talking to God, and I got a feeling of the awesome power of God seeing it, especially with the picture on Instagram. Are we destined to blindness of the whole truth, or is this plane of existence for the rest of our lives, and do we have to accept the, that growth happens through the blindness behind the veil and through faith we grow and not through knowing? Thanks if you get to answer this. Well, I, I want to really point something out, and we really have to be careful about this. We cannot correlate or tie to or add baggage to the love of God and the glory of God. You can feel that any given time you allow yourself to. You don't have to know everything because you're on earth and you can't love God. I don't know everything. Like the first question, I don't know if you put an organ transplant in someone, they take on the personality of the other person or that that soul is completely tied or broken from that. I don't know that. But I do know that I could still love God and I don't know that answer. And I could feel his glory. We don't have to know everything to feel God. Think about that. It has nothing to do with the painstaking challenges of learning and experiencing. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're learning and experiencing. It's how you go through it that matters. And when you feel a trust in God, in a, the fact that there is a God, that there's something bigger than you that's, you know, up 30,000 feet in the air and looking down. And saying, oh, all they have to do is turn this corner or all that, you know, whatever it is. We are not here to have the answers. We are bored when we are not searching, seeking, looking for an answer or an outcome. It's never about the answer. 
It's never about how much you know, and you may know more than someone else, and someone else may know more than you, and that can go on all day long. But you don't have to wait on feeling the power of God. God is so cool. He is everywhere. He knows everything you're thinking, no matter how we try to frame it. And say, oh, no, no, that's not what I really want. And he's like, right, keep going. You still have to experience more to be able to tell yourself the truth, at the very least. If we are blind, if we're behind a veil, it's not like we have all these obstacles. Because even just reading the question, I feel like, whoa, 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 back up, back up. Let's back up. Let's talk about God. What is God? God is love. That's all God is. He's just love. He's not here to judge us, hurt us. He's just here. Nothing attached to him. No deciding how we should get to him. Even if we never read, even if we never knew about all the experience we needed to grow, and that was why we were here and wondered why we were having such challenges, even with all of that, still there. Never moved, never wavered. It's us who are dancing around how we feel about God and decide if we can see God for what he is or can't. I was talking to someone yesterday about truth, love, and purity, that we're all made of truth, love, and purity. And those are themes. Sometimes there's someone who's always looking for the truth. They're digging. There are little reporters in life. And then there's the lovers who want to service and want to help and get that they're not the only person on the planet. And then you have those who are searching for our innocence and they're fighting for people's rights all the time, trying to not just get to the truth, but fighting for the rights of people, keeping people in their innocence, reminding people that we are here together, reminding people that things can get better. So we have these three prongs going on all the time. But there's above that God the love of God, the feelings of God, and the desire for that belief that there is a bigger picture than the one we are in. When I saw Christ, I was in a little picture. I was in the picture of my life alone. I had my two kids. I was doing what every American was doing at the time, trying to make ends meet, in quotes. I never thought about the world being designed for us to not make ends meet. But when all that responsibility fell on me and I became a single parent, I started having questions like, why would we set this up this way and keep people struggling? And I go to work and it just goes from me to somebody else. I don't I don't get to breathe, I don't get to rest, I don't get to feel like all my work has produced for me a life that I could live. 
And so I'd start asking God questions. And when I saw Christ and I realized the power of free will, that free will goes both ways. It goes for things that aren't working and somebody decided it was okay to do that. But also for things that were working. So what works? All of the stuff that we have minimized, like truth and love and purity and God, or overstated truth, love, purity, and God. And when I say overstated, you go to a church or you go to an organization and they tell you the only way to God is this way. And if you're not Muslim, Mormon, Catholic, Christian, whatever, Jewish, before you die, you're going to hell. And then the game changer was, there is no hell. So now what what, what value did my walking through hoops to get to God so I don't go to hell give me? didn't give me anything. Because they took the fear out, so now I wasn't scared I wouldn't see God. I felt like I, I already could see God in my heart and in my brain here. I don't need to have God running my show so that it will prove to me I am good or I am actualized or I know everything. But I understood that while I'm here, God is a resource. You can talk to him anytime. And when we do talk to God, that's who we're exchanging energy with. So we feel elevated when we do that. But a lot of us get so far in our own heads about what we've decided God is, and we turn him into a parent who will love us or won't if we do right or not. And he's not a parent. He created parents, but he himself is not a parent. God is a pure intellect. So as we weave in and out of the roadblocks in our mind to God, if you just, and I'm going to say it again, and I will say it for the rest of my life, I am sure at this point, when you say, what would God do? I want what God wants. You will be exchanging energy with God in your decisions. Things like addiction, mental illness, which is a lot to do with addiction, pain, suffering, challenges, physical illness, disabilities, are sprinkled throughout all the humans on our earth. And we breed compassion for each other through those vehicles just like we breed an awareness of God through religion. And then as we grew, we found out, oh, wow, there's no hell. Well, how's religion going to hang on to people? And then when you talk to the young people, they don't fear God, but they don't really know what to think of God because they're not going to church, so they're not getting the old system, I want to say. And at the same time, they're not going to any place to talk about God, so they really don't think about him the way the other 
the older generations, and I say older, maybe 30 and above if their parents took them to church, if not 40 and above. The baggage that older people have about God is an obstacle. But then when someone slides into their 60s, they're like, hey, you know what, I made it. Wow, made it this far. I don't really think I was as punished as I thought I was for those sins that I had in my lifetime. I kind of have to accept myself as I am. I really don't know what else to do at this point. I'm probably going to be on earth maybe 30 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 10, maybe a year. You start getting this realistic view that life really does end. And when we're younger, we feel it's invincible. I'm only 30. I'm only 40. But as we get older, we say, well, you know, my parents died in their 60s. My parents died in their early 70s. I'm about 60 now. You know, you start thinking like that. Talking to God is exchanging energy with God, and that is the best feeling you will ever have on this earth. The reason we don't recognize it as easily is because we associate talking with God as like this lightning bolt, you know, like all flashing fireworks or we should feel, and then we throw this expectation on it. But the truth is, when you pray or you talk or you exchange energy with God, the only thing you get from that is this super calm feeling. When I first saw Christ and I tried to push him away, like, what are you doing? You just walk into my life and now I'm considered weird? How do I tell people I saw you? And he let me do my dance. Didn't judge me, didn't say you should, you have to, you must. Just let me do my dance. But because he didn't move while I was moving, allowed in my own mind to check in and say, oh, wait a minute, I needed to do this to realize that I could do this. I don't know how, but I know I could. Do you know when someone gets lost, you're with a group of people and one of the group gets lost, whether it's a child or a friend or even a parent in older age, but someone gets lost and you're out in a public place. If there is more than one person, you keep one person where that person veered off from, where the last place you saw that person So one of you doesn't move just in case that person comes back to that spot. And then another person can move around and look for them. The reason that's important is because someone has to stand still while the other one is doing the dance, trying to figure out where they are. And sometimes they'll take a wrong turn and think they passed something they didn't, and it goes on and on until eventually, hopefully, we find that person safe. And that's how God is. God's just hanging out. He's just here. He's not telling you what to do. 
He's not telling you if it's right or wrong. He leaves that all up to your conscience, up to your mind, up to your soul, up to your level of experience. He doesn't say you have a wrong level of experience and you cannot experience the glory of me because you don't. In essence, he says, hey, great job, doing good so far. You're learning, you're learning to find yourself. That's what you're here for. I'm just the background. I have to tell you this story about the Los Angeles Lakers. For the last 10 years, the Lakers have not won a championship. They are the basketball team, if someone doesn't follow sports, in Los Angeles. They were the team that Kobe Bryant, who was one of the most famous players of our time, who who passed away in January, and there's been a lot of memory of him on the team. And um, they won the championship this year. And they're thinking, what was different about this year than the last 10? We've gotten the best coaches. We brought in really good players. But there was never chemistry. It was always off. It was about who the coach was. It was about one of the players' parents blaming everybody for what happened and when they lost. And it was not his kid, you know. And and it just was messy. And then this year, they won. Yeah, we had LeBron James and Yes, we had AD on the team, and they played really well together, but they had chemistry. None of the players, even with LeBron James, who's the biggest star on the team, probably one of the biggest ones on the planet today, but when you watch them play, there was no player more important than another. But that wasn't even the kicker. So I was telling my friend Lisa, who's blind, about the Lakers story, about how they won this year. And I said, they won because they have a coach and let the people, the players, shine. And she said, really, what's his name? And I said, you know what, Lisa? I saw him interview and he put it on the players. He put it on, hey, this is what I was hired to do. And he walked back into the crowd, probably the most humble person in the entire sports world that I've seen to date. And she said, well, what's his name? And I looked at her and I go, I don't know. I don't know his name. And we both realized that that was why he was successful. I didn't even know his name. I knew him by his humbleness and by his care to let other people shine because that wasn't his job to be the focal point. It was the job of the players. And you quickly understood why the team did well. It's not just about great players or a big star because everyone needs underlining support and layers of it so that you know where to go when you need it. And players go up and come down and have hot times and they have slow times. It's part of the whole sports world. That's why we watch. We watch because there's a lot of unexpected. There's no prediction. And you enjoy it the whole way, even in the defeat of it. There's a heightened feeling of glory that comes to us 
because of the chance, the opportunity. And God, you know, he stands back and wants you to shine. He doesn't want you to spend all your time overshining him because we do that in our hearts deep down, whether we realize it or not. Just the the thought that we even think that we have to do those things tells you what your connection to God is. But the glory of God is when we feel seen by God. We know he's there. We know he can see us. Because what difference does that make once you believe God can see you? Let's say you were going to lie. And then you say, wow, that's kind of weird that God's going to watch me lie. I don't know. How bad could it be to tell the truth? Because then if I tell the truth, I'm done with it. But if I don't, I am stuck with it. There's a big difference between being done with something and being stuck with something. Because stuck means it just jumped on your back with Velcro and it's not leaving until you deal with it. But then sometimes we rationalize a lie. Yeah, I'll forget about it. They'll forget about it. Nobody gets hurt. I'm fine. Are you? remind yourself that God is in your background and then you say you know what would God want me to do in this situation if I were to ask because God doesn't tell you what to do but when you ask and you hear yourself ask you realize sometimes what you're asking for But because he doesn't move while you're constantly moving, you always know where he is. And you always can go back to that home, to that feeling of contentness when you can handle it. The interesting thing about all of this is that God loves you no matter what you say or do. He never moves. He never wavers. He never judges. I learned that there's no sin and there's no hell. I know people run at me and say, well, what about a murderer? Well, what about this? And I said, that's between them and God, not between us. So Maria asks in the chat, how do I know if my intentions are pure? I ask that question after I saw Christ and he told me about truth, love, and purity. But even prior, that one ounce of pure love or pure intent will overcome any obstacle provided that it's pure. And I said, how do I know if my intentions are pure? And the writing began. Origins of Truth was answering that question throughout the entire book. That's why when you read it and it just peels you back and peels you back and peels you back to the point where you can't hide at least from yourself. 
We all know when our intentions are pure when we do not have to justify them. We do not have to rationalize them. We know by how we feel. If we help somebody and really don't want anything back, we never say that. We never say, well, I help people and I don't want anything back for it. That's not how we do it. But if you help people and you just walk away, and a lot of times you'll even forget. I've had people try to help me, and then if they got mad at me for not listening to them, gave me the laundry list of everything they've done for me, as though I did nothing back, as though I was not there. And I ran away. We know in our heart when we've hit that point of purity. And it's when we don't feel we need anything back for our actions. That's why we love our kids so much, because we raise them and we know we're not getting anything back other than hopefully their interdependence or independence. You guys, my time is up. I love you guys. I will see you on Monday morning. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the I Dig Your Soul podcast. To learn more, visit www.nadiakhalil.com.